Welcome to PICGO Happenings. I'm your host, Diana McFarland. I'm here to give you a front row view of county government. Hello, listeners. We are meeting again with Matt Rowe. He's the Director of Economic Development with Pennsylvania County. And here at PICGO Happenings, we have been doing a few episodes on economic development. And that is to let you all know um, how this area of expertise fits in with the overall role of local government. Now, during our first episode, we talked about the many businesses and industries who have come to Pennsylvania County and Danville over the past several years and what that has meant for the region in terms of economic and job growth. Accompanying that influx of business and industry has been a concentrated effort by local leaders to create a workforce pipeline to serve those entities, which we discussed in the second episode. That effort has come in the form of a wide-ranging educational strategy that touches on all aspects of modern manufacturing, from mechatronics to additive manufacturing to automation and robotics, and it all starts at the middle school level. Much of this work was accomplished through an alliance formed between the county and Danville after the collapse of the tobacco, textile, and furniture industries about 15 years ago. So this week, we're going to talk about a large piece of property in the southwestern part of the county a site that has been in the news over the past year, and that is the Southern Virginia mega site at Berry Hill. So good afternoon, Matt. It's good to have you back. Yes, great to be back. I'm, I'm starting to get pretty used to this. Yeah, it's not so hard once you get going. Yeah. So let's talk about the mega site. Uh, can you tell our listeners how this came to be and, and why local leaders wanted to make something of this size? Sure, certainly. Um, so I think to take a step back, you know, where hopefully, you know, listeners have, have you know, heard thus far is, uh, right, as a community, we really want to ensure that we have the business-friendly climate, uh, that we're, you know, a great place to live, that we have a quality workforce. And so the next thing that comes along with that really is a landing spot. And so, um, you know, this region has done a fantastic job in the past of having, uh, you know, shovel-ready sites. Uh, certainly in the, what I'd call kind of the large to the medium categories. And, you know, you have to really kind of go back to our area's uh, you know, history. Uh, you know, we uh, you know, were and somewhat still are a, a textile and uh, furniture mill town. And with, you know, what comes with that is typically a uh, large access to power and large access to water. And so with the collapse of those particular you know, industries, especially right with the Amber Mills and, and you know, all of the, uh, the other similar types of industries, it left an abundance of capacity when it came to water and power. And so um, that has been a tremendous opportunity for us. So that kind of takes us now into you know, the mega site. So again, right, put yourself, and this is all uh, you know, occurring in the early 2000s, I would argue that that's probably when this region um, finally hit rock bottom. And so at that particular point in time, everyone is looking for an option of, you know, how do we change our trajectory? And, uh, and you know. Well, can I interrupt you? Frank? What do you mean by rock bottom? What, what happened? So, well, you know, rock bottom, uh, you know, that was really where you had the final fallout from the loss of uh, furniture, textiles, and tobacco. Um, you know, through globalization, through various free trade agreements, um, you know, whatever the case. And that's not a political statement. That's a factual statement of where, you know, that kind of impacts to industry and the economy. It takes time to cycle through a society. And so that's when our area of the, of the state, frankly, country had one of the highest unemployment rates 
match. Um, you know, we had um, the highest rates of poverty that this area has ever seen. That's when we also had the largest uh, outflux or outmigration of people. And so from an economic development standpoint, that truly is rock bottom. And so when you reach rock bottom, you can either stay there and accept your lot in life, or you can fight your way out. And so that's really what this region did. And so, you know, that was really initiated. I hate, I know this is not the workforce episode, but again, that is what really initiated, in my humble opinion, the workforce strategy of we've got to invest our way out of this. And it's going to be tough. And there's going to be a lot of critics. But we know that if we don't at least try, then this is what the future looks like. It looks pretty bleak. Part of that strategy of workforce, again, the other component of it was sight. So again, put yourself back in, 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 the, in the early 2000s, right? You had uh, BMW that came to Greenville, South Carolina in 1992. Greenville was on the same exact trajectory as Danville was. And so everyone saw that. And that was a tremendous risk for South Carolina. They pretty much went in there and bought you know, BMW to come to that state, largest one of the largest incentive packages at the time ever offered. And then you had in 1993, Mercedes come to Vance, Alabama. All right. Then you had in the uh, you know 1990s, early 2000s, Volkswagen, you know, go to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and so there was this tremendous push um, at that time of all of a sudden, you know, economic development in general was changing from this uh, you know situation of where you would go into old plants, old brownfield sites, which are already old, you know, existing developed sites and very much to where things were migrating to the southeast. And so the Tobacco Commission, which was, of course, established as part of that, you know, region hitting rock bottom, right, the national settlement when it comes to uh, with tobacco, uh, you know, they saw those as an opportunity, and they invested heavily into kicking off their megasites program. So that is really the genesis of the Southern Virginia Megasite. 2008, right, the property is purchased. And then from there, really from 2008 all the way to 2017, roughly, I mean, that was pretty much a uh, uh, funding mode. Um, you just can't come immediately out of the ground with a pad site day one. And so, um, you know, it took us probably almost a decade to get to the point of where the site it would even be semi-market. And so that really occurred in 2018 when we, you know, broke ground on the first pad. And since then, uh, you know, it's been expanded and today, you know, the site's considered to be one of the premier industrial sites in the U.S. with all infrastructure already in place. But that really is where it comes from. It was that really strong forward direct investment push that began in the 90s, carried through the 2000s. And frankly, we just went through it and are still going through it right now, right? Where you see, of course, in the mid-2000s, you had Volvo go to Charleston, uh, South Carolina. You just had the Hyundai uh, uh, you know, second plant, of course, go to Savannah, Georgia, that we were, you know, runner up for. Um, and so again, you're seeing this shift in migration, especially in this electric vehicle battery chain, uh, environment, uh, to the Southeast. Now, the megalite has been around a long time. And I, if I remember correctly, there was a lag time there, was it 10 years where there was some permitting issue with the federal government? So, so again, what we're doing is on a scale and size beyond anything that's been attempted in, this, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And so that means oftentimes you're going to be both the guinea pig and the battering ram. And so, you know, from an Army Corps of Engineers standpoint, you cannot go out there and speculatively grade property 
uh, without having a quote unquote end user. So you have to, you have to define the need. And so the pad that we have out there today was based upon an agreement, you know, right as far as within the permitting regulations that the court has, where that it allows to go out there and do some moderate uh, impacts. Uh, but again, uh, we can't go out there and grade the full 700 plus acres that constitutes the actual mega site site itself uh, without that end user. And that's a rule that is the same across the United States. It's, it's due to the Clean Water Act, and it's a very important rule. And, and again, we want to make sure that everything we're doing is meeting, you know, the intent and the letter of the law. So, yes, I mean, but that took time of where during the period, the entire time, right, we're doing additional studies. We're doing threatened endangered species studies. We're doing geotechnical studies, cultural and archaeological and historic resources studies. You name it, which is all part of that due diligence. So when I see a community that thinks that they're just going to hop into the mega site, uh, uh, you know, competition, um, and it's just going to be a quick process, that's not how it works. Um, you know, it takes you know, decades in many cases to really go through the entire process to get that final client. And we've been selective too. Mm -hmm. Now, I also noticed that the site has certain certifications. Can you explain what those are? Sure. So the site is classified uh, as a, a Tier 5 uh, Virginia Economic Development uh, Business Ready Site. That's the highest certification in the state. Uh, and so, again, that's for the, for the, for the PAD site out there itself. Um, but again, the mega site is really uh, more broadly an industrial park. So, um, and then you have the mega site within the industrial park. So the entire you know, industrial park itself is 3,528 acres. And then the actual mega site is comprised of about an 862 acre parcel. Uh, and so again, we have gone through and gotten private certification through Quest Site Solutions, which used to be McCullough Sweeney. Um, that is by far the most prestigious private certification group, uh, uh, really in, in the world. And so the entire park is certified as a super park. And then the mega site itself is actually certified as a certified mega site. And so what that all means is, is that all of these studies, all of this due diligence has already been completed and verifies to industry that there's little to no risk. And so again, all the infrastructure is in place. The permitting is geared up, so all we have to do is get our, our user to write write the letter of intent, and it allows us to immediately move forward uh, with the process. Now, are there any particular industries that y'all are targeting? Certainly. I mean, so what we're really seeing is, and, and it's really based upon, so when you're targeting industry, yes, you're looking at your community, you're looking at your workforce, but you're also, frankly, looking at the site itself and its infrastructure attributes. So our site has a tremendous amount of water and sewer capacity. Uh, with what Appalachian Power just completed with the substation, you know, we have a tremendous amount of power capacity. Uh, and then, of course, uh, natural gas gate uh, being right there in the park. So, again, you know, our site really checks off all the boxes, a terabyte plus fiber. You can actually send an email faster from the mega, mega site to the Pentagon than you can from Reston. And most people don't realize that, but it's just due to latency of, 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 the, of the network. And so, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we are doing everything that we possibly can to get the site, you know, this site ready in advance. And so with those types of, you know, robust infrastructure packages already there, um, you know, we're certainly seeing, of course, a lot of automotive and EV battery. Batteries take a lot of power to make the power back really stuff. And so again, um, you know, that that's in a lot of water as well. So that, you know, that's certainly been a, a focus 
uh, in addition to uh, the automotive um, you know, side of things. I mean, we've been in the running. We've actually been the preferred site uh, in certain instances. Uh, things just haven't been able to move forward, uh, you know, on, on, on two actual automotive uh, plants themselves. Uh, and then what we're really seeing now in particular are, are a lot of critical mineral projects. So all of these battery plants that have been announced across the U.S., uh, they take a lot of graphite, a lot of cobalt, a lot of nickel, all of these different exotic minerals, critical minerals, uh, and there really has not been a much attention given to those components until now very recently. And for example, you know, from my understanding, I believe that over 90%, I believe it's actually closer to 98% of all graphite processed globally is done in China. And so, again, if you're trying to restructure and, uh, and you know, your supply chain and bring things back domestically, that's coming back home. And so we're seeing a lot of projects uh, that are, you know, fall within that, that, that spectrum. And that's very clean uh, manufacturing, frankly, and it's very, very high-wage manufacturing. Um, so, again, it could be a situation where we may end up being the winners out of all of this by being one of the later sites in this wave of large projects to come through just because the wages are so much higher. Uh, and so, again, we're, we're, we're working on numerous projects right now. Now, is there anything holding the mega site back from, from getting the tenant that you can put a finger on, or just it's just so, timing? So, so nothing on the site. Um, you know, the one thing that I could put a finger on, honestly, is logistics. And when I say logistics, it's not getting into and out of our site. It really is, again, looking at the broader logistics of of, of you know, especially if you're in the EV uh, automotive battery space, that existing supply chain in general is just to the west of us. And so they tend to follow that same kind of corridor from roughly Savannah, Charleston, back out to Nashville, right, and then curving back up to up to Michigan. And so there are uh, certain instances where, again, with all of these car plants now coming, you know, further south, be it Ford, be it Toyota, Mazda, you name it, um, it's making us, uh, uh, you know, much more attractive from a logistics standpoint than, say, uh, a Michigan would be. Uh, and so that's that's been very interesting. Um, but that is something that we're really having to get, you know, get across to site consultants is is just you know how favorable our logistics is uh, for these southeast plants. But it is somewhat of an old set, you know, mindset of um, you know we need to be a little bit further west. The other thing I would just say, honestly, too, is, is that what we've been able to determine is, is that the megasite project pipeline, uh, they are very much follow the herd. And so they tend to want to write North Carolina won the project, so we immediately know we got to go look at North Carolina. Or Kentucky won a project, and we immediately got to go in, you know, look in, in North Carolina, uh, in, uh, Kentucky. And so Virginia has done not a, not a good job when it comes to large megasite projects. And so we have to break through that barrier. That includes both incentives from Virginia and looking at how those incentives are structured from a net present value uh, to, uh, you know, just frankly, Virginia not being uh, as aggressive when it comes to doing site development. Our, our site development timeline could have been greatly, uh, you know, um, reduced if Virginia had the site development programs in place then that it does now. And so, uh, again, I think that that's been an, an aspect, but everyone in the state of Virginia uh, that's in economic development you know, at the state level from the governor on down knows that our our, win, our actual win itself is not a matter of when, 
uh, uh, of if rather, but, but rather when. And so, uh, so again, at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're very confident that we'll be able to cross that finish line, you know, here pretty soon. So does it look like sometime in the not-so-distant future we'll be getting a tenant there? So we should already have several tenants there, um, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, again, you know, the things that are very attractive, uh, for, for, you know, companies that have come and, and, you know, where we've been finalists and, and, you know, there's been international relations and customers not moving forward and a lot of different factors. Um, you know, what we do know is, is that we have a great site. We really know how to market it well and that this community shows very favorably. Um, from a logistics, uh, standpoint, uh, when it comes to getting goods in and out of the site itself, to uh, the demographics of our area, labor share is extremely strong. Uh, and so, again, am I going to give a specific time? Um, I just can't, just because I realize that so many things are out of our control. I mean, we've done everything right, and then we've had situations of external influences that are, again, just outside of our control impact decisions. Um, and so, um, you know, at this point in time, I just, you know, what I can confidently say is, is that we have one of the best sites in the uh, in the country, and uh, frankly, one of the best communities in the country that support it. Well, on that note, um, we will wrap it up for today. Um, there's probably so much more we could say about the mega site and all these other topics, and we may have to revisit this. Um, but Matt, thank you so much for joining us. You've done a wonderful job this past few sessions on explaining as succinctly as you can this very big topic. Sure. So. It- so again, it's not if, but when. I know I butchered that, <laughs> that section there, but again, it's, it's coming. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to Pitco Happenings. I hope you learned something informative. If you have a question or want to make a comment, give me a call or send a text to 434-489-8739.